Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you, and I hope that your summer continues to go really well. You will remember that throughout this entire summer, we've been exploring together one particular sermon series on community, specifically God's community that we call the church, and looking at the different elements that make up that community that we also want to live into as God's people and to share in as God's church. And today we're bringing this sermon series to a close. And I personally have loved being in this series and I hope that you have as well. So as we get ready to dive into the final element of this series, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Almighty God, this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. A number of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to come across a particular story in Scripture uh, that really struck me. It was in my devotional time, and I want to share this story with you today. And the way that I want to invite you to hear the story is to literally, wherever you are, sit back a little bit and relax and, and just try to let this story play out in your mind. It's the scripture we've already heard today, but I want to walk us through it in a way that hopefully makes some sense. And again, when we really stop and reflect on it, it does have a way of playing out like a movie in our minds. And it's a fascinating story. In fact, it's a story that makes me feel like I should begin with once upon a time in a city far, far away, because that's really what is happening in this particular story. But it's a true story. It's something that actually occurred in scripture. So once upon a time in a city far, far away, there was a golden age for the kingdom of God and the people of God in Israel. Although the term golden age might be a bit strong, uh, it was more of a united kingdom at the very least. Some of the leaders at the time, uh, they were good leaders, but they continued to endure attacks that happened upon them. Uh, there were invaders that came at times, and even though there were good leaders and good kings, there was still a ton of family dysfunction that was happening in the leaders at that time, but at least the kingdom was united. So we won't call it a golden age, but we will call it a united age for the people of God as they were gathered together in one kingdom under the kings of Saul and David and Solomon. But eventually that united kingdom passed and it became a divided kingdom. Under King Solomon, things began to fall apart and the kingdom shifted into two, into the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Each of these areas then began to have their own kings that reigned at different times, and many of these kings were not good. Many of these kings chose to pursue evil, they turned away from God, and as time went on, things went from bad to worse. And finally, this is what's being described in parts of the Old Testament in books like 1st and 2nd Kings. And by the time you get to 1st and 2nd Kings in the Old Testament of Scripture, when you're reading through it, it actually gets quite confusing because you start to lose track at times which king is reigning when. Some kings reign a long time, some just a short time. Some are very bad kings, some are pretty good kings. And there's this constant flipping back and forth between the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. It's into this mess and this confusion that we enter into here in 2 Kings today. The focus in this account is a city called Samaria, which belonged to the kingdom of Israel at the time. 
But there was another king in another land named Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Aram, and he decided he wanted to attack this city of Samaria, which belonged to the people of Israel, and attack he did. Things got really, really bad in the city of Samaria. The siege got so bad, it brought on a terrible famine for the entire city. And it became so bad that it drove food prices sky high in the city. In fact, we're told that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. So basically, that's a whole lot of money for very little in return. Now, imagine how bad things must have gotten in order to pay a lot of money for something like a donkey's head to eat. I like food a lot but I do not want to be eating a donkey's head salad or a donkey's head pizza or anything like that. But that's how bad things had gotten in the city of Samaria. And unfortunately, the king of Israel wanted to blame God. And this king of Israel wanted to blame one of the prophets of God named Elisha. He even wanted to have Elisha killed. He was so mad and tired of being attacked and tired of the famine. But every time this king wanted to put plans together to kill Elisha, God kept making Elisha aware of the king's plans. So finally, the king, out of sheer frustration, just directly shows up to Elisha himself, and he says to Elisha, I'm so fed up with God. I'm so tired of this whole bloody mess that's here. I just want to be done with it. I want to be done with God. And at this point, my personal tendency would have been to do away with the king of Israel if I was God because he was complaining against me. Or if I was Elisha, do away with him because he was complaining so much to me. But instead, that's not what happened. Elisha instead said to the king of Israel, all right, here's the deal. This famine that you're experiencing will soon be over. By God's word, I promise you this, in just 24 hours, one day from now, the availability of food will be so plentiful that you'll be able to get the food that you want for just pennies because the cost will come way down because there will suddenly be so much food available. Now, that news was so unbelievable and so hard to comprehend, one of the attendants of the king remarked, do you really expect us to believe that? Even if food started falling today, from heaven, there's no way that could happen by tomorrow. All of that, again, hope you're letting that play out in your mind, all of that is setting the stage for what we hear in scripture then today. Because all of this is the backdrop to hearing that now there are four lepers who are sitting just outside the city gates of Samaria. And you'll remember, leprosy was essentially a death sentence in this age. It was a skin disease that had no cure. You were cast out of society and you were left to fend for yourself. You were the ultimate outcast. So here are these four lepers and they're surveying the situation. And they realize if they just continue to sit outside the city, they will surely die because there's no food there. So in their minds, that's not an option. They also realize if they go into the city, which also had no food, they'll die there as well. So in their thinking, they decide, let's go to the camp of Aram, the people that were attacking them. And they realize if we just go marching into that camp, odds are we're going to be killed. But maybe, maybe the Aramanian people will take mercy on them and decide to let them live. 
And as they process these different options, the only one where they can figure out that they might have a chance of continuing to live is if they go to the camp of the Arminians. So they make their way to the camp of Aram. Then they get to the camp and there's nothing, not a person in sight. Then they get into the camp, these four lepers. And again, not a person in sight. This is absolutely shocking. What in the world is going on? And what the lepers come to find out is that the Lord had made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses' hooves thundering on the ground as if a large army were on the march. And it caused such a panic in the army of Aram because they thought the king of Israel had hired other kings and other armies to come and attack them. And so in their panic, they got up and they fled out of the camp, leaving everything they owned behind everything. So when these lepers came wandering into the camp, they found literally tents full of food, tents full of silver, tents full of gold, tents full of wonderful drinks, tents full of the most beautiful clothes you can imagine. Every good thing you can imagine was right there for them to enjoy. So you know what those lepers did? These outcasts, they gorged themselves on the wonderful food. They started to enjoy the, 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 the clothing and covering themselves in that. They took the gold and the silver and they hid some of it. Then they came back the next day and they did the same thing all over again. And they were going to do it another day when suddenly they had this realization. They realized we should not be keeping this entire wonderful feast all to ourselves. And they realized it would not be good news for them to hoard it all for themselves. It was too good to keep for just themselves. So they went and decided to share this good news with others, specifically the king of Israel. And so they went and they shared this news saying, the camp is empty. There's all this good food and feasting and clothes and gold and silver for the taking. The gatekeepers heard this news from the lepers and they went to the palace to the king to share this good news. At this point, you would think hope restored, right? Everything is finally good, right? Nope. The king, in his own paranoia, thought it was some ruse on the part of the army of Aram. He thought this was an attempt to lure him and his army out of the city and that then they would be attacked. He just could not believe this good news. It was too good to be true for him. Now, thankfully, some of the advisors to the king spoke up and they said, now, king, uh, why don't we just go and explore and see if it might be true, this news that these lepers are sharing? I mean, what's, what's the harm in that? At least send a few riders out and check out the story. The, the scouts went out, they checked out the story, and to their delight, they discovered it was all true. It was exactly what Elisha, the prophet of God, had predicted and that the lepers had reported. And all the people then came rushing in and looted the camp. Literally overnight, the prices of the food came tumbling down, and God had seemingly done the impossible. 
And it was all so very, very good as the people in the kingdom of Israel came and they feasted in all of the goodness, all of the food, all of the drinks, enjoyed all of the clothing, all of the gold, all of the silver, all for them to enjoy. Now, this is quite a story. Again, I hope you've been letting this just play out in your mind as I'm walking you through it. And there might even be some parts that are a little hard to comprehend, but I think this story is so powerful at many, many levels. This story reminds me that the God that we serve can do absolutely anything. This story reminds me that the God that we serve hears the cries of God's people and God responds. And this is a story that reminds me that hope from God can come in the most unexpected of places and unexpected ways imaginable. Think about it. This is a story in which God uses lepers, the most outcast of the outcast, to point the way to the feast, to point the way to the goodness for God's people to enjoy. Now, here's why I've lifted this story up today. I want to ask us today to consider this story that we've just walked through as a parable for the community of God, specifically the church in today's world. Going back into the story, who were the ones who discovered the abundant feast in the camp of Aram? It was the lepers. The lepers, those who were most despised in that time. The lepers, these ones who are most often overlooked, the lepers who were uh, just malformed themselves, they were literally decaying, their bodies were decaying. They're the ones who get to go and discover the feast of goodness, waiting for them to partake in it. I love how uh, Pippa Gumbel, uh, the wife of Nikki Gumbel, says it when she comments, what fun they, the lepers, must have had that day, literally stuffing their starving bodies with the delicious food and covering their disfigured bodies with beautiful clothes. They got the best first. I'll just picture that for a moment. These forgotten, despised, disfigured, nearly hopeless individuals, they're the ones who discover the unexpected feast first. They're the ones who got to delight in the feast first. They're the ones who got to taste and see how good the feast really was. And they are the ones who got to cover their brokenness and their disfigurement in the beauty of the new clothes. And then they have a choice. Do they hoard all this goodness for themselves or do they share in the good news of the feast with others? Do they share the abundance with others who need it? And of course, we know what those lepers chose to do. They chose eventually to go and share the good news and to share in the abundance of the feast. So God uses these lepers to show everyone else where the food and the feast was. What if today, church, we realized we are those lepers? What if we realized that this community called the church is a community made up of spiritual lepers? Because we too are individuals who become broken and disfigured from what we were intended to look like, not because of the disease of leprosy, but because of the disease of sin. We were made in the image of God whole and complete and good. But in the fall, 
with the introduction of sin, our image in God becomes marred and broken and disfigured. And we once again find ourselves starving as well. We starve for acceptance and value. We starve for identity and purpose. We long for goodness and beauty. And so we search and we search and we search for those things through our own efforts and our own endeavors, only to discover we are still lepers. And no matter how hard we work and no matter how hard we try or no matter what we do, we find out we are still lepers until miraculously we come upon the unexpected feast of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And then what happens? We as individuals get to delight in the feast of God's goodness as we embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our lives. We get to feast in the beauty and the goodness of his truth. We get to clothe our disfigured selves in the coverage of God's grace as we welcome Christ into our lives. And we discover that the enemy that we thought was there, the enemy we thought was stronger than us, is nowhere to be found because Jesus has overthrown the powers of this world. And we realize in this community called church, we don't keep the glorious feast of goodness for ourselves. We share it widely and abundantly with all. We invite others into the feast. We welcome them into life in Jesus Christ so that they too may feast with us, that they too may be covered in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. I have always loved the quote that says, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. In 2 Kings today, those beggars are the lepers showing everyone else the bread and the feast in the Aramean camp. Today, the beggars are you and I sharing with everyone else what we've discovered in the bread and the life of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, that's what this community of God, this thing called church is all about. We're all beggars, we're all lepers, We're all broken, we're all disfigured in our own ways, but thanks be to God, there's an unexpected feast of goodness to be found in the goodness of Jesus Christ. And it is so, so good. It is a feast that gives us a foretaste of the kingdom of God that will eventually come in all its fullness. We're told at the very end of scripture what this feast will look like. We hear this in Revelation chapter 21, verses five and six. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. It is a feast where we will never thirst again. It's a feast where all will be made new. All of this is happening, and the lepers in 2 Kings, they found gold and silver to enjoy. Guess what else we hear in Revelation chapter 21, verses 18 and 19? We hear this. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. It's a reality of great splendor, joy, life, hope, victory, beauty. Church, this is a feast and a reality, not just intended for then, someday in the future. It is a feast that begins here and now among us in this community called church. 
And that's why God's church, this community is so incredibly important. Part of what we do as God's community is help usher in now this feast, this beauty for people to enjoy and to experience. It's not a matter of waiting for heaven someday. It's experiencing the kingdom and all of its goodness here and now. That's why we don't just gather together for religious services on the weekend. We don't just get together for different forms of spiritual programming. We are here to partake and feast in the kingdom of God ourselves and to invite as many as possible into the feast to enjoy. And in this feast, as is the case with any feast, it is best experienced in community, not by ourselves, not in isolation. Those four lepers could have said, we're only going to enjoy the feast ourselves. And had they done so, they would have missed out on a large part of the power of feasting, which is meant to be done in community. Today is the final Sunday that we're going to be spending on this particular sermon series. We've done our best to remind ourselves as Christians what it means to be part of this holy community. We've tried to spend time each week reminding ourselves of different parts of the feast that we get to experience in the holiness of God's community. Because church, when it's living as what God intends, it offers to the world something that education, healthcare systems, business, government, the arts, those things by themselves can never fully offer. And all of those things I just mentioned, they are wonderful things. They have the capacity to be great things, but they cannot offer what the community of God, the church can offer to our world. We can offer the goodness found in the feast. We, in our brokenness, can point the way to the feast found in and through the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So yes, we live in a time when we look at the church as a whole, it might seem like the voice of the church is lessening in importance. It might seem that we are in a time when people don't want to belong to the church. In many ways, we are in a time when people might think, me and God are good, But the whole us and God thing is not really for me. But by the grace of God, God continues to move among us and continues to invite others into the feast. Did you know that this year alone, we've already had two groups who have joined in full discipleship and membership? And we already have another group that will be lining up to do the same thing in the fall. That's an amazing, wonderful thing, a sign of God's goodness among us. And yes, in our brokenness, we still have relationships for the most part with people that look exactly like us. We've not yet lived fully into our heart's desire to experience beautiful diversity the way that we would want. But at the same time, we see glimpses of the kingdom among us. It was so good this year at our Vacation Bible School celebration to see more diversity among our children than what we've seen in a long time. In fact, a diversity that much more similarly reflects the demographics of the very community that we are in. And we give thanks for God, to God for allowing us to experience that part of the feast. Yes, in our brokenness, many of us are not yet sharing the gospel with others and inviting others into this community in the ways that we know that we are called to do so. But at the same time, we are seeing people committed to raising their kids in Christ by having them baptized, by having their youth go through the confirmation process so that they can come to embrace their faith for themselves, so that God in that way is stirring up new life in the community among us. 
We may not fully know what the church is going to look like moving into the future with so many giant changes happening around us. And no doubt some of us feel disoriented with the massive change that is swirling around us. And yet we remain hopeful by pursuing God as God leads us in new and creative and explorative ways. We give thanks for things like the creativity cohort, uh, that's happening, and you might not even know this, we have five teams right here from First Church who are part of our creativity cohort, but we also have churches in Ohio and Georgia and Louisiana that are joining us as well because God continues to stir in new and creative ways among us. So yes, we, this community of God's church and community, we are broken in many ways. And yet, even in our brokenness, God continues to usher in the feast and allow us to experience the feast and invites us to welcome others into the feast as well. Every single element that we have covered in this entire sermon series are elements that are best experienced in community. And that's why together we've celebrated birth and new life all the way back at Pentecost and with baptisms, because in this community of God, we see promise for the future rather than sad-hearted disparances about the fading glories of the past. Together, we come and we celebrate love, because in this community, we see a group of people who recognize our true belongings are not our possessions, but our relationships with God and one another. Together, we celebrate play, because in this community, we see a people who experience laughter and hope and joy and strength together. We see a church that tries new things and engages in endless imagination with God to explore the wonders and the goodness of God's creation. Together, we celebrate purpose. We see a church desperately in love with Jesus, consumed by the energy of the Holy Spirit and in perpetual submission to the Father. We see a church networked beyond denomination and politics, elevating Christ above all else and against other competing concerns in our lives. Together, we celebrate identity. In this community, we see a people who understand that what we do flows out of who we are. We see a church where we realize we are both remorseful sinners and receivers of God's good grace. Together in this community, we celebrate grace. We see a church and a community where the good news of Jesus is for everyone, even though none of us deserve it. We see a church and a community bursting with the powers of the scriptures where God's word is embodied through who we are. Together, we celebrate comfort. We see a church that finds comfort in Jesus rather than our surrounding circumstances. We see a church and a community seeking to help others in order to remind them they are not alone. Together in community, we celebrate God's goodness. We see a community that offers the world what is good in the very best sense. A church, a community that interrupts evil, that sets the crooked paths straight to share all that is good. In community, we celebrate creativity. We see a church that joyfully pounces on new opportunities before us, even in the face of challenge. And together today in community, we celebrate restoration. We see a church that brings heaven to earth now, a church that's committed to the kingdom of God over the kingdom of this world, a church, a community that offers a glimpse of the heavenly feast here and now. Can we together be this kind of community church? 
That has been my prayer throughout this entire series because it's what our world needs. It's, it's what our world craves. There are a whole lot of hungry people out there who want to be part of the feast, but they don't know where to look and they don't know where to turn. How amazing would it be for us lepers in our own brokenness, our own disfigurement, to welcome them to the feast, to enjoy it with us? What unlikely people might there be among us today to be used by God to show us all the way forward? In Luke chapter 14, verse 15, we hear these words. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. The only way we can truly experience this feast is in community with God and one another. It is not a feast that is meant to be experienced alone. And so my hope and my prayer today is that that scripture verse that I just read, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, will become our reality as the people of God. In light of that, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, as we gather this day, continue, God, to help all of us to feast at your table, not as individuals alone in isolation, but in community with you and with one another. Lord, help us to remember these words today. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. God, may we experience that reality ourselves and share it abundantly, abundantly, abundantly in the world in which we live. God, thank you that we were never designed to make this journey alone, but to do it in the power, the love, the grace, the wonder of your holy community. Use us, God, to bring your restoration in the world today to bring heaven to earth, that all may enjoy in your heavenly banquet and feast. We pray this all in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus together. Amen. This day, church, this day, community, as we go, let us go in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, feasting at God's heavenly banquet and inviting everyone else to come and join us as well as we are covered in the grace of God and as we feast in the goodness found in Jesus Christ. Go in peace, bringing heaven to earth. Go and serve the Lord this day. Amen.